ladies and gentlemen. There we go. Everything's recorded nowadays. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is also known as DPP. This is where we explore the Torah portion of the week, day by day, Monday through Friday. Today is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. And we are going to explore the fourth reading of our Torah portion, which is Re'e. Um, let's pull this up on my side, and then I'm going to share it with everybody. Here we go. This was yesterday's reading, so let's toggle reading number four. Once again, Moses speaks to the people shortly before his passing, and he says the following. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse number one. You are children of the Lord your God. You know, translations are wonderful, but the Hebrew is so beautiful. Banim atem la'ashem elokechem. You are children. By the way, banim, what does banim mean? Or what does ben mean? Son. Son. Right? Banim would be sons. But the translation is children because it's not gender specific. Right? Banim atem, you are sons of God. All right, it means children. That's why I like this translation. I usually have to be the one modifying it and explaining the context, but here the translation is working for us, which is great. So you are children of the Lord your God. And look at this. Moses tells the people, you shall neither cut yourselves. That's literally a prohibition against cutting one's skin. Nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. So no cutting and no pulling out your hair um, in the context of bereavement. Mourning for the dead. Let's pull up Rashi. Rabbi, excuse me, does that mean no tattoos? That's another, that's that's a specific verse. That's not this verse, but that's another, that's another um, verse that talks about that. Very interesting topic, by the way, tattoos. You know, we'll get there in a second. We'll get there in a second. But very interesting topic. Um, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, you shall neither cut yourselves. Do not make cuts and incisions in your flesh to mourn for the dead. So, let's continue. In the manner that the Amorites do, because you are the children of the omnipresent and it is appropriate for you to be handsome, and not to be cut or have your hair torn out. <laughs> Moses tells the people, y'all are handsome. You're beautiful. So don't cut yourself. Don't pull out your hair. In the context of mourning, that's something that the other nations do. Something other nations did. It's not the Jewish thing to do. We, and, and really, what hopefully is coming through here is a continuation of yesterday's theme. Where Moses tells the people, you're going into a land in which people have lived there for a while and they have their ways. And that includes pagan beliefs and idolatrous practices. Don't look, don't be curious, don't, uh, right? don't get involved. That's a different way, it's a different path, it's, it's not what Hashem wants from you. You have your thing. And here once again, the same theme. They may cut themselves or pull out their hair, whatever it is, in the context of mourning. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let's take a look specifically. What does it mean to make any baldness between your eyes? Rashi says, i.e., that means near the forehead. Near the forehead. 
I guess it would mean in the hair that's right over here in the front in the middle. Yes? Maybe? I, I, I mean, I don't know anyone with forehead hair. Maybe, maybe human beings have evolved over the last little bit, but I don't know anyone tufts of hair coming out of the straight up the forehead. I'm assuming it means the hairline in the middle of the head by the forehead. I would think that sometimes in mourning, yeah, when people get so bereaved, they like pull their hair out. Right. Yes. That's exact. Yes. Exactly. That's that and would be my understanding. You're talking about. That would be exactly my understanding as well. Right. So it's saying that others may do this, don't do this. Um, elsewhere, however, Rashi says it says, they shall not make their head bald. Which sounds like a broader thing. It doesn't say between your eyes. It says don't make the head bald. That, Rashi says, that means to make the entire head like between the eyes. I.e., what that means is one must not make bald spots on any part of the head. This is, by the way, one second, let me time out. This is not talking about getting a close haircut or even perhaps shaving one's head. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about in the context of mourning and bereavement to then pull out one's, to pull out hair, whether it's in the middle or, which is like centered in between, between um, your eyes, but up, nor anywhere else, as we have another verse in Leviticus that opens up to any other part of the head. Either way, we don't pull up. We're not supposed to do this. Why not? Verse number two. I'm keeping Rashi here. Um, actually, this Rashi is... I'm going to give a different commentary here, not Rashi. Let's take a look at verse number two. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Right? Don't cut. Don't yank out your hair. Why? You're a holy people to God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a treasure people for him out of all the nations that are upon the earth. Don't do this. I want to share with you a commentary that, I, that is, I think, very profound on this, on this prohibition. Um, and the commentary explains as follows. I, I don't remember who it is, which commentary, but it's, it's really a beautiful idea. And it, it connects with the opening of this verse, verse 1. You are children of the Lord your God. And the commentary says... When we look at ourselves as children of God, then we will respect our bodies. And respecting our body means we're not going to deface or harm our bodies. No cutting, no pulling out, no pulling out hair. It's, we're going to treat our body with respect. And by the way, you could open that up to other areas about treating the body with respect and not harming the body, right? Self-harm. It's, it's, it, it opens up to a broader category. And, and yes, there's a lot of things that could, that could fall fall within the parameters of, of this prohibition. I don't know that I feel comfortable saying, yeah, this, this refers to all sorts of, you know, anything that one does to, to harm the body, but the spirit of this prohibition would certainly apply to, to other categories. Again, am I the one to open it up? Or maybe the rabbis did? I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not right now into this topic with, with research, but the short of it is, yes, there's an overarching theme here, which is, don't harm the body, especially not in the context of, of death, which I'm going to explain right now. You see, the sense of cutting or the sense of pulling out hair um, upon loss is predicated, according to this commentary, on the notion that this loss is irreversible, that the loss is absolute, that loss is loss, death is death, 
and that's it. And so the, the, the mourning, the depth of the pain is, is extremely severe. And, and the, it's almost like the, the, the only cathartic way to express the pain is by even causing more pain, right? That's like to, to numb the pain with pain. So to cause even more pain that's even stronger than the emotional pain is kind of soothing on some level for the emotional pain. That's, that's the psychology of, of, of cutting, etc. So the message here is when you recognize that you are banim atim Hashem alakechem, you are children of God. What that means is that loss is not absolute. And this goes back to a theme we've, we've covered numerous times in numerous courses about life and death. Judaism does not believe that death is the end of life. Judaism does not believe that death is the end of that person. There's a body, true, but there's also an neshama, there's also a soul. So the body may be laid to rest in the earth and have its journey into the earth, re- returning to the earth. But the soul, the soul lives on. And who are we? Are we a body that has a soul or a soul in a body? You probably know my answer, number two, right? We're a soul that's having, for a short amount of time, a body experience. But we are not our bodies. Our bodies are not us. We are our personality, our intelligence. I mean, God forbid, you look at a body after a person passed away. Yeah? Where's the intelligence? Where's the consciousness? Where, where is all of that? It's not, it's not there anymore. So where is it? What, it disappeared? All of that life, vitality, consciousness, awareness, even emotions, it's all in the soul. And so when the soul departs the body, that doesn't disappear. It doesn't end the life of the person. It just, it's a different form of life. Life, pure life without the body. All of which is to say that death is not the end. Death is a transition, but it's not the end. And knowing that, hopefully, somehow, some way mitigates the pain of loss uh, on, on, from the perspective of the mourners. That we who are left behind should feel not as... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word here. Where it's... Obviously, loss is devastating. And, and, and no one should suggest otherwise. But it's, um, it takes the absolute end uh, you know, finality, if that's the word, away from the experience of loss. And thus, that can help mitigate the, um, somehow to, to, to help soothe the loss and not get to the point of cutting or, you know, pulling out the hair. And so again, that is, hey, Alia, good to see you. So that is kind of the energy of these first few verses. Know that you're connected with Hashem. And which part of you is absolutely connected with Hashem, with God? It's the soul. The soul is, is absolutely and, and, and um, invincibly connected with Hashem. You can't, you can't separate the soul from God. And the soul lives on. So knowing all of this should help keep the pain within a certain threshold where it shouldn't hopefully lead to the severe expressions of mourning and grieving and bereavement that some of the other nations did. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes? Yeah.
Rabbi, also I had some yeah. thoughts about the phrase, you're beautiful people. Yeah. So it, it seems to me that Moses is, you know, so that takes away superficiality of outward appearances because, you know, I mean, it's, everything's related and right. taking care of your outward appearance as well as your right. inward. Very, very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, clearly what the Torah is saying, what Moses is telling the people is that you are, yeah, you are a beautiful people inside and the outside should also reflect that. So don't, don't engage in self-harm because it's harming the body. Now, this is not even touching on one of the bigger issues, which is brought up in other places in Torah and Jewish law, which is the idea and this is a very powerful point, that our bodies do not belong to us. And this may sound like a radical statement, but it's, it's, it's part of it's a foundational Jewish belief that our bodies are not ours. Just like our souls are not ours, I mean, I guess we are the soul, but our bodies are on loan from Hashem, on loan from God. And, and thus we are, we are entrusted to be safekeepers of the body, to take care of the body, to make sure that it's healthy, to do our best to be good stewards of the body. It's like, give you a, an example. I mean, it's like, it's like imagine your neighbor goes out of town and says, hey, can you watch my cat? Can you watch my dog? Right? So what are you going to do? Start hurting it, God forbid? Of course not. Who does that? that? That's crazy. You take care of it. Feed it. Make sure it's healthy. Groom it. Yeah, comb. You comb animals? Yes, you comb cats and dogs? Yes. We do this? But yeah, there you go. Grew, comb it. Take care of the animal. So why, why is our body any less than the neighbor's pet? Yeah, we with me on the, on the logic? So, so it says like this. It says in halacha that a person is not allowed to it, it, engage in self-harm. It's a, it's a biblical prohibition. Not even in the context of mourning, which we're talking about right now in the verses, but in any context. Right? So in fact, it says that a person, if somebody says to you, hit me, you're not allowed to hit them. Why not? But they consented. But who gives them the right to consent to harm their body if their body is not theirs? Are you with me? You can only consent to what's yours. But who says your body is yours to do whatever you want with it? Right? Now, I know that from the American sensibility, this is heresy. What? I don't have autonomy over my body. That's the only thing. That's like the most important canonized right in the United States is the fact that we have full autonomy over the body. I, trust me, I get, I get where it is in modern society. But Judaism has a bit of a different take. And that is, yes, we've been, we, this is our body, but it's been entrusted to us by Hashem. And it's been given to us to take care of and, and keep it healthy and not go the other way on it. Anyway, I don't want to like belabor the point. I think hopefully I made the point and it relates, of course, to the opening um, few verses over here. Okay, let's jump in. Oh, anyway, so how does this relate to um, boxing? Somebody intentionally steps into the boxing ring or MMA or even professional football um, with concussions and the like. I don't know. Or extreme sports. You know, if somebody does... Um, you know, extreme sports. Is it, is it kosher in Jewish law to do these things? Because one is putting their life, their body at risk? It would be, it's a good question. These questions are discussed. I'm not going to give a, a psak. I'm not going to give a, a ruling right here on DPP. 
But I'm just saying these are these are considerations. It's not. It's, these are not. Think, why not? If you want to do it, sure. If you know the risks and you can and you and you 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 acknowledge them, then no problem. You're allowed to step into the ring. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's uh, it's 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 at least a question. At the very least, it's a it's a serious question. Let's jump in. Um, let's jump back in. So we talked about not cutting oneself nor pulling out one's hair. Okay, here we go. Um, number three, verse number three. Now we segue into the laws of kosher, because along the lines of taking care of our body, let's talk about the fuel that we put into our body, and I'm going to stop sharing for a moment and use one of my favorite examples, which is the gas station example. So anybody have a car here? Yes? Car? Okay, good. And you know every once in a while you have to fill your gas tank with gasoline? Yes? Okay, good. Oh, unless, I'm sorry, my apologies, unless you drive a Tesla or an electric car, in which case you plug it in. But either way, you have to refuel. But let's talk about gasoline cars. So, um, by the way, I was speaking with somebody this morning and the conversation turned very quickly to Tesla and electric cars. And my contention is, and it's not, it's not like I'm a prophet or anything, but within a few years, I feel like it's gonna be, everyone's gonna be driving electric. It's like the pace of production and adoption, I think is like is scaling. So definitely get in your investments now. This is not financial advice, nor should we construe it as that, that, as that, but nonetheless. Back to our story. You have to fill up your gas, fill up your gas tank. So imagine the manufacturer says, look, you're driving a very special car. This is not a, what's my favorite? This is not the Pinto. This is not like, you know, some sort of, you know, El Cheapo car. This is like an expensive car, special engine, special engineering, and you need to put in the highest grade gasoline. So when they give you the choice of like the 87, the 91 or whatever, the 93, like you gotta go for the most expensive thing or else you're gonna ruin the engine. Like you're, you're gonna mess up your car unless you go high grade, top of the line, top shelf. This is like top shelf gasoline. So what would you say? Imagine you bought that car and that's what the manufacturer, the salesperson, the dealer, every, everyone tells you the same thing. So what are you gonna do? Top shelf. I gotta use the top shelf, it's my car. I gotta take care of my car. So the Torah says, Moses tells the people, look, this is your body on loan from God. You gotta take care of it, don't hurt it. Don't self mute, don't self, don't self harm, number one. Number two, what are you putting into your body? Make sure it's top shelf, high level, IJA barbecue food. No, I'm kidding. Make sure it's it's high. It's make sure it's the it's the most tuned food for the human body, which is going to be what is called by me right now. You know, there's the Atkins diet. There's the South Beach diet. My friends, let's present the Sinai diet. Here we go. This is this the diet from Mount Sinai. We call this kosher. This is engineered for our bodies. Yes, you can get away with the 87, but why would you, right? This is like high-end stuff. Let's go, let's jump in to the text. You shall not eat any abomination. Don't eat that, ugh, don't eat that low-end stuff. These are the animals that you may eat. Here we go. The ox, the lamb, and the kid. That's referring to a kid goat, in case you're wondering. Gazelle, deer, and antelope. Ibex. Somebody help me with this one. 
Chamois? Chamois? Is this French now? Do we know what this is? Huh? Or chamois. Chamois. I thought that was like a like a blanket material. You can find some to these days in the French Alps. Really? They're like a goat, kind of. That's exotic. Uh, let me tell you this. I've never eaten one. I don't know that I want to. I'm just saying. I don't believe that I've ever seen that on a menu. Next, the bison and giraffe. Yes, giraffes are kosher. And yes, there is a powerful misconception about the giraffe. There is a huge... I don't know where this started. There's a misconception about the giraffe. You know, everyone's like, giraffes are kosher, so why don't we eat them? And the rumor is, oh, because the neck is so big, you don't know where to shack the animal. Fake news. That's not, that's totally fake. Because there's no specific place on the, and the neck that you have to shack or that you wouldn't know where to shack from. The whole thing is, is, a, is not legit. Which is also, by the way, regarding tattoos, there's also a misconception about tattoos, which um, Donna asked about before, which I may want to circle back around to. But anyway, getting back to, um, to the giraffe. The reason why giraffes typically are not eaten, or giraffe are not eaten, is because, not because you don't know where to shack the animal, where to slaughter the animal, it's because they are not cooperative. Because they're very difficult to wrangle and prepare as kosher food. It's very, very difficult to, to get to... Sh they're very strong, they're very big, the neck is very tall, you need a ladder, and then it's gonna kick the ladder when you climb up. It's gonna be very complicated. So no, you imagine that comedy skit, right? Trying to like wrangle the giraffe, it's, it ain't gonna happen. So that's why giraffes typically are not eaten. They're kosher 100% and that's it. Now, getting back to... Experience being married to a South African? Yes, well, I've seen giraffe up close. So it's funny because where Leah lives in Johannesburg, there's literally giraffe in the street. It's amazing. They have, yeah, it's exotic. No, of course not. No one has giraffe in the streets, right? But that's what everyone thinks. I'm kidding. But that's what I thought also. But no, there are no giraffes um, around. You go to the, whatever, to the game reserves to check it out. Kruger National Park. That's where we went. That's the big one. Oh, I don't, um, oh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, they could be. I hope not. I hope they're okay. Yeah, I mean, stuff goes on. And, I mean, who knows what goes on over there with the, with the elephants and the tusks and the ivory, you know, that whole thing, right? Yeah, it's funny we talk about that today because I was at the zoo yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we spoke about that, yeah. And I was, you know, I was thinking about that and I was with two, uh, you know, also Jewish kids and I was telling them, you know, do you know this is kosher? Right. Why don't we eat them? I don't know, but... <laughs> See, well, one, one day off, you would have had like a whole ream of information to, to really bore the kid. I mean, to really tell the kids about the kosher and the, uh, and, and the giraffe and all that stuff. Yeah, basically, what you want to do, best, best strategy when going to a zoo, is to look at the animal and be like, you're kosher. And then like, mm, sorry, you ain't kosher. But we still love you. We still, we still love you, but what are you going to do? Can't eat you, but nonetheless. All right, getting back into our text. Let's jump back in. Here we go. Um, oh, here we go. So we listed a bunch of animals, two verses of animals, and then verse 6 gives us the guidelines. And every animal that has a split hoof and has a hoof cloven into two hoof sections. Wow, that's a lot of detail. Basically, the hoof is split. Done. Split hoofs. And that's sign number one. Sign number two for a kosher animal is choose the cud. 
So any animal that has a split hoof and chews the cud among the animals, those are among the animals that you may eat. I don't know exactly how to read that, whatever. Anyway, those are the animals that are kosher. Kosher animals have two features. They chew their cud and they have split hooves. But what happens if they have only one sign or one feature and not the other? No go, not kosher, which the Torah continues to describe. But you shall not eat of those that only have one but not the other. Of those that chew the cud or of those that have the split hooves exclusively. In other words, it has to have both. If it has one, if it just chews the cud, not kosher. If it just has split hooves, not kosher. So what are the examples of such? Here are examples of... Here are examples... The cloven one. What's the cloven one? Split hooves, the cloven one. Split hooves, the cloven one. Sounds like a movie. Anyway, get, all right, whatever. I don't know what that is. But let's, let's just get back to, to the examples. Here we go. All right, I don't know how to read that exactly. The camel, the hyrax, and the hare. These are three examples or three animals that are not kosher. Why? For they chew the cud but do not have split hooves. So they only have one and not the other. They only chew the cud but don't have the split hooves. Again, the camel, hyrax, and the hare. And what about the other way around? We have the pig. Verse 8, and the pig. Why is the pig not, not kosher? Because it has a split hoof, but does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You shall neither eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcass, which would render a person in a state of impurity if one were to touch the dead animal version of that animal, the carcass of that animal. All right, fine. Why is pig considered to be so not kosher? I mean, the camel's not kosher. The hyrax is not kosher. The hare is not kosher. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, they're not kosher. So why is the pig like, oh, the pig. Oh, the pig is always like the epitome of non-kosher. Like, what's wrong with the pig? That pig's not kosher. So most animals are not kosher. Big deal. I'll tell you why. According to our sages, I said this last year, I remember in, in, in DPP, but it's a beautiful idea. Because look at the sign that it does have. It has a split hoof. And our sages say, you know what a pig does when it lies down? It puts out its hoofs in front of it. It puts out its legs and it, it's as if it's saying, look, I'm kosher. I have split hooves. And you're like, pig, you're kosher. Ah, uh, not, uh, you don't, uh, just joking. I don't chew my cut. You can't see that. All you see. So the pig epitomizes, not saying that the pig is deviously doing this and intentionally doing this, but from a bit of a bit of, you know, a bit of a broader perspective, we would say that the pig represents or is representative of the idea of deception, of pretending to be something that you're not. The pig says, again, says, or perhaps it looks like it might be kosher, but it's not. That's even more not kosher than the not kosher thing that says I'm not kosher. I'm going to say that again because that I confused myself there. The thing that's not kosher that says you should know I'm not kosher. Not kosher, but at least it's upfront about it. But the not kosher thing that says, look, I'm kosher, but, and is really not, is actually worse. Why? Because it's about deception. Misrepresenting oneself is why the pig is the pig.
That's why. Again, not, not blaming the pig. The pig is just, you know, it is what it is. But, but the, context, the concept of the pig being so, you know, trafe, so not kosher, is because of this association with this, this um, idea of misrepresenting oneself, which we've talked about in many different areas in halach. Number one, when it comes to shopping, there's a prohibition against genevatat, which means stealing one's mind. No, we're not talking about like brain theft, but it's about deception, misleading someone. It's not okay to go into a shoe store, for example, and say, can I try on what's an expensive pair of shoes? Louboutin? Is that a, did I get that right? Yes. Uh, Jimmy Choo? Jimmy Choo? Yeah. I'm not going to say it right. What are the odds that I'm going to say it right? Zero. I'm surprised that I'm even getting these right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so yeah, it's like, oh, I want to try them on in a size uh, this, size that. Yeah, try it on. Um, which I do all the time, by the way. I don't know if you guys do this, but in a mall, I'm always trying on the Jimmy shoes. It's always the joking. Yes, no, just joking. So here's the point. To try it on in the shop because you want to see how they feel or how they look and then to say, no, thank you, I'm going to think about it and then order them online is, might be Geneva Dat, which is deception and prohibited in Jewish law. Why? Because the sales associate or the store or whatever it is may have thought that you were really interested in buying and you're not, so it's, it's, it's not good. Now, this is something that we've spoken about before in other classes. Obviously, there are degrees. Sometimes the salesperson knows that you're not serious or, or they would rather you drive them crazy a little bit because maybe they can convince you to buy it you know, and, and, and not shop online. So maybe they're trusting their own salesmanship, their own ability to sell, and, and would, would be rather have a willing engage with somebody than somebody not even stopping in the first place. So your mileage may vary on this. I'm just giving you a general notion of the shopkeeper's law, which is that one should not deceive another person in any context, including in the context of shopping. So what's, what do you do then if you want to try on the shoes for sizing and then buy it on, you know, Zappos? Is that still around? Or whatever it is, or JimmyChew.com, because they have a 40% off coupon, which I verified this morning. Um, I'm just joking. Did not verify anything this morning with Jimmy Choo. So what do you do about that? So you have to be upfront. You just don't, don't, don't be like the chazer. Don't be like the pig that has the split hooves and says, look, I'm kosher, but I'm really not. Don't be, I'm a, I'm a buyer, but I'm not really not going to buy from you. Be upfront. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking to try on the size. I'm not planning on buying, but I want to try it on. We, you think they're going to send you out of the store? They'll still say yes, because, you know, whatever. They're, they're not going to turn away somebody, but at least you've been upfront about it. All right, it's, the idea is to be upfront is better than to be deceptive. That's always the case. Make sense? Yes? This yeah, is true. This, sorry? Okay, this is, this, is true in this is true in relationships as well. Right? In relationships, sometimes you have somebody who's looking seriously, you know, in a relationship. It's someone who's not so serious, just looking to have a good time. It's very important that... Everyone is upfront what they're looking for because how many times have I, you know, have people spoken to me about relationships where it's been a number of years and then they find out that the other party, whatever, wasn't this, wasn't that, wasn't the other, and it's something that could have been resolved with a with an upfront with a transparent and upfront and open conversation, you know, three years ago. There's no no need to, to waste anybody's time if everybody's upfront Pre to pretend something that we're not is very not kosher. So there's not kosher. 
but then there's very not kosher. Very not kosher is the pig. What's wrong with the pig? Nothing actually with the pig itself, but with the notion of sticking out the split hooves and saying, look, I'm kosher. That's the problem. The problem is misrepresenting oneself. And again, that runs the gamut of human experience. And I think we can all relate to this. We've all, listen, if, if you've walked this earth for a few days, a few years, right, then there's been a point in time where you got duped into something, where you got, you know, misled into something. It didn't feel good. Let's not do that to others. That's, that's kind of the point. Getting Genevas, I'm going to write in the chat. Um, I don't know if, uh, okay, I'll write in the chat anyway. Oh, look at this. I opened the chat and I see a chamois. Did I pronounce that right? Chamois? Chamois. Yeah. I always thought a chamois was like a blanket on a couch. Am I wrong? Ch no? I thought it's a fabric. All right, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the Matrix. I took the blue pill or the red pill or whatever. Now, like, new reality opens up. All right, it's called Guinea. Yes. Went to summer camp in the French house. Yes. They might have seen some of Ooh. Wow. Not, not, we don't eat chamois, like, but they're too cute. Maybe. Oh, oh, that is. Now I really want to Google one. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. I know what I'm going to be doing right after DPP. Let's check out chamois and see how. That's, that's so cute. I like cute animals. Not a bear, by the way. You guys know my bear story, right? Face to face with a grizzly bear. Oh, I made it a grizzly for this conversation. I didn't know that it was a grizzly. I can't identify bears. But all I do know is we were upstate New York on Passover in, in the middle days. I was walking with my son down these rickety stairs into this foresty area. And I had my cell phone because it wasn't the holiday holiday day. It was the intermediate days. I had my cell phone flashlight on so we could see where we're going through this forest. And I swing around to my son. Hey, Nassan, are you okay? And I see right behind them is a bear, upon which I said, bear! And we ran to the house that we were staying in. Basically, that was my close encounter with a bear. Bears at night, like with the whole bear face looking at you with the cell, not so cute. Chamois, perhaps, I will let you know soon. Genevas das is the term. Genevas das or genevat daat, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm going to go Ashkenazi on you. Genevas das. Geneva means theft, and das means mind, theft of the mind, but it doesn't mean like brain snatching. It means uh, deception, right? Misleading somebody else's mind. Okay, getting back to our biblical tale. Okay, that's the pig. Next. Now, what about fish? All right, we know about land animals. What about fish? I know everyone was wondering which fish is kosher. Here we go. Moses tells the people, as a reminder, they got these, they got these commandments all the way back in the book of Leviticus, but Moses, again, shortly before his passing, is giving them, like, highlights. Best of. This is, you got to remember this stuff. Take care of your body. It's on loan from God. Hashem loves you. Take, don't, don't hurt your body. Feed it what it needs to eat. What about fish? These you may eat of all that are in the waters. What are the two um, features of kosher fish? All that have fins and scales. That's it. Fins and scales you may eat. But whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. That's it. So simple. Fins and scales. So, so you're asking, so which fish has fins and scales? I'll tell you which fish do not have fins and scales. Um... um 
I forgot what they're called. Um, any any fish that are not um, any fish that have like the shells. What is it like? Shell? Huh? Shark. You said shark. I, I'm not gonna eat. I'm not gonna eat. Crustacean. That's the word. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That's like. What is that? Like the, the lobster? Is that like that those types of things? Like lobster and whatever? Anyway, yeah, like the, the yeah, those, those, those things. Anyway, whatever. Those th they're not kosher. Um, shark is not kosher, but I'm not going to get close to a shark anyway. Oh, I don't have to fish. Right. I, it's, it, somebody else did that. Uh, whatever. Either way, I'm not eating a shark. It's just too... That, sharks have fins, right? We know this. That's how you know there's a shark because it has that fin in the water. Right, I think I'm modifying it a little bit, but whatever. That's my attempt at Jaws. You guys with me? Yes? I know it's going back a little while. DPP and movie hour. That's like what we want to do over here. So um, sharks are not kosher. The lobsters, the crab, the shellfish um, are not. And why not? Because they're too shellfish. Oh, um, it hurts me more than it hurts you. So anyway, these fish are not kosher. Um, the, the most famous kosher fish, which you can only find in certain waters, is the gefilte, right? And you know the gefilte fish because it swims with a, with a carrot on its back. All right, that's all a joke. Gefilte fish is actually a conglomerate of a few different fish that are kosher, that are mushed together, um, including carp, and what else is in gefilte fish? Carp? Pike? Pike? It's a question. It's a big question. No one knows, right? It's mystery. No it's the meatloaf of fish. It's a gehakta fish. <laughs> it's gehakta fish. There you go. It's gehakta fish. <laughs> the classes are better when there's Yiddish interspersed. Gehakta fish means like chopped up minced fish stuffed together. Good. That's gefilte fish. Um, by the way, when the pandemic hit, Initially, who remembers cooking with Rabbi Ari Thursday nights? Yes, that was some of my favorite classes where I took you into my kitchen live on my phone. I had my phone and I was live blogging, my phone, live blogging um, my, my Shabbos cooking. I did gefilte fish three or four ways. I did potato kugel. We did chicken soup. Did we do chicken soup? I don't know. All right, maybe. We did um, chalant, my, my brother-in-law's Texas spicy chalant. Anyway, so maybe one day we'll get back to, to cooking with Rabbi Ari. That's a lot of fun. The gefilte fish, uh, I have so many things to say about that. Getting back to our text, though, because we got we to gotta finish. Did you do baked gefilte fish? I do everything with gefilte fish. Are you kidding me? We, you, you can bake it. You can fry it. You can boil it. Yeah, it's, you, can, you can put it on a skewer and, and roast it. I'm kidding. No one ever does that. Don't even try that. Um, but there's a lot of things that you could do with the gefilte fish. Back inside. Um, what about birds? I know you're asking, what about birds? Here we go. Verse 11. You may eat any clean bird. Well, there you go. That kind of opens it up. But these are from those which you shall not eat. The Torah here tells you the, the birds that are not kosher. The eagle or the griffin vulture, depending on the translation. The, oh, 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 now I have to try to pronounce this. The osifraj. Okay. The osprey. And the white vulture and the black vulture and the kite 
after its species. And every raven after its species. After its species means like, and the whole family of that type of bird. And the ostrich, and the owl, and the gull, and the hawk after its species. The falcon. Uh-oh. The falcons are in kosher. <gasps> Someone tell Mr. Blank. Anyway, the falcon. No, the Atlanta falcons are fine. But the falcon as a bird is not kosher. And the ibis. Ibis. And the bat. Oh, I'm just, listen, I'm just going to say this. The bat wasn't kosher. It hasn't been kosher. We should have avoided the bat this whole time. Maybe we would be in a different place. I'm just saying, not blaming anybody. Just saying the bat is not kosher. Back to our story. Um, and the pelican and the magpie and the cormorant and the stork and the heron and its species, and the hoop, the hoopo, and the atalef. The atalef, that's gonna be, I'm calling out uh, fake news on that one because that's literally the Hebrew, atalef, that seems like it's not translated. It seems like it, the, the translator gave it its best shot for all of these other ones and like gave up at the last one. It's like atalef, like that, we're just gonna write that out in English and you're on your own to figure out what that one is. All right, we're almost uh, wrapping up over here with kosher. What about flying insects, just in case the mood strikes? And every flying insect is unclean for you. They may not be eaten. You may eat any clean fowl. There we go. Getting back to the, getting back to the, um, to the text, verse 21, you shall not eat any carcass. What that means is an animal that was not slaughtered, even if it's a kosher animal. It might be a kosher animal, let's say cow, but either it died or it was uh, killed or whatever it was. It, did it, it wasn't shechted, it wasn't ritually slaughtered. So you can't eat it. You can't eat a carcass or roadkill or whatever it is. You may give it to the stranger who's in your cities that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. So you're still allowed to you benefit, give it to someone you know, who's, uh, who's not Jewish, who doesn't eat kosher, you can give it to somebody, somebody else, but you can't eat it. You can own a restaurant and sell non-kosher food, right? There's no prohibition against profiting from it. You just can't eat it. So what happens if you have a slaughterhouse for kosher? And you should know in a slaughterhouse, with kosher, a kosher slaughterhouse, there's a, a, a relatively small percentage of the animals end up being kosher. Because when you shecht an animal, first of all, I mean, let's say you only have cows coming in. Okay, so you start off with a kosher animal. But you have to slaughter it properly, and that requires a, an incision, and then you have to check the incision to make sure it was done right. If it wasn't done right, the whole animal's not kosher. Even if it was done right, you do an internal examination of the animal. You do a bit of a, not an autopsy, but you do, a, well, maybe an autopsy, but a mini one where you check the health of the animal. If the animal's not healthy, was not, well, it's dead. But if the animal wasn't healthy, for example, and I hope I'm not getting too like gory here, but if, 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 the, if the lung had a, uh, a defect, and you can tell, you can, you can tell. If the lung had a defect, even if it's a cow, which is kosher, and the slaughtering was done fine, it's not kosher. You can't eat it. So what do you do with it? You have out of 100 animals, you might have only 40 kosher animals. So what do you do with the other 60? You sell it. You sell it to the, to the, to whatever, whoever's buying non-kosher, 
not the not the consumer. You sell it to who are the producers. They they buy from the kosher slaughterhouses. They buy animals that are not deemed uh, that are that are not kosher for kosher consumption. So you're allowed to you're allowed to make money off it. You're allowed to profit off it. You know, you just can't eat it. You can you can sell it. You can't eat it. But there's a different prohibition that's more severe, and that's what we're going to get to right now as we conclude this reading. Here we go. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Why kosher? What I said before. Because you're driving a Lamborghini. That's why. That's why kosher. Because you're not driving a... um, What did I say before? A Pinto. You're not driving a Pinto. You're driving a Lamborghini. You're driving a Lamborghini, you got to go top shelf. You don't fool around. What's better than Lamborghini? Bugatti. Yeah? I don't know if it's better. But also up there. Whatever. You're driving like high-end, you know, high-end stuff. You can't, you can't fool around with, uh, with the other things. Back to the final verse. You shall not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Yeah? And kid, of course, here means a kid goat. You shall not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Famously, this verse, Lo sevashel gedi bachalevi mo, that phrase, is repeated in Torah three times. And the Talmud says, why three times? One time to prohibit cooking, one time to prohibit eating, and the third time to prohibit benefiting. Let me explain. There's a prohibition against bishul, achila, and hana. Cooking, eating, and profiting off of meat and milk. So let me explain. If you take a piece of meat and grill it and cook it with cheese or in milk, that's prohibited. If you did, you know, even if you don't eat it, to just cook them together, it doesn't have to be a kid in its mother's milk. Any meat or milk that's cooked together is, is problematic. So even if one is not eating it, even if one is just cooking it, not kosher, not, not, not good. If one didn't cook it, someone else cooked it. To eat it, not good. You didn't cook it, you didn't eat it. You're going to sell it, not good. There are three prohibitions when it comes to meat and milk. Are you with me on this? When it comes to other things that are not kosher, when it comes to... Um, when it comes to uh, pig, right? Don't eat it. Can you cook it? Whatever. Can you sell it? Sure. Yeah, but but you can't you can't um, you can't eat it. When it comes to meat and milk, it's a more severe prohibition. It's not only don't eat it, don't cook it together, and don't even and don't sell it, even if you didn't cook it or eat it, which. Which means, on a practical level, like practically where would this maybe come up? Somebody wants to invest in a restaurant, right? You have an investor, a Jewish investor, who wants to invest in a restaurant and will get profits from the restaurant. Well, if the restaurant is a non-kosher restaurant, you have to be careful. Do they sell meat, meat and milk products together? Because then it would be problematic. Are you with me? Because you can't profit off of the sale of meat and milk products. So if it's a McDonald's, it's going to be a problem. Right? To invest in a McDonald's because, because then that means you're getting profit from the sale of meat and milk, which is prohibited. Three times the Torah says, don't, 
Don't cook the kid in his mother's milk. Cooking, eating, and profiting. Anyway. Well, can I ask yeah. a question? Sure. So what about an owner of a corporation? Yeah. Uh, that's Jewish. Yes. And Jewish people work in the corporation. Yes. And the owner observes the festival days, you know. Yes. Okay, but he... Ha he but he obligates the Jewish workers to work the festival days. Is that permitted? Not, not so kosher. No, I'm not. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying. Uh, no, if somebody was to ask me if they own the company, should they mandate their? No, you. No, absolutely not. I know because I was in that situation. We're ve we're very strict here. I mean, obviously we're shut down on the. But I mean, you know, I mean, I guess we're open on Shabbos and holidays. Literally, like, <laughs> we have services, but no one should work. Right? No one's working. Especially a Jewish person. Yeah. No, it would be no, it would be problematic. Yeah, for I was sure. In that situation, as an employee of a Jewish owned company, and I didn't want right. to work on a holiday. That's not a problem. Just give them my number. I'll have a schmooze okay. with them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just send the rabbi on them. Uh oh, now they're in trouble. Got the rabbi online too. All right, my friends. Um, so, what's the bottom line? I think the bottom line is what we've been saying consistently. It's, um, we got to take care of this beautiful gift that we have, which is the body, right? Because there's inner beauty and there's outer beauty and it's meant to be a holistic whole. So we have to take care of ourselves and make sure we don't, uh, we don't self-harm on any level. Cutting, pulling out the hair, eating things that are not attuned to our health, spiritual and physical. We have to do what we need to do to take care of our health. Um, okay, good. That's it. We good? Joy, Sandrine, Sarah, Donna, Ray, Olia. It's good to see you guys. We'll see you soon. Tonight, don't forget, tonight is um, Torah study, 7.30 p.m. in person or online. Either one works. Um, that's it. And then tomorrow, we're back on. All right. See you guys. Yes. Take care. Have a good day. Such a good conversation. Thank Pl you. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. Great Bye to guys. see you. Take care.